Hello, Kate from the Nari team here. In the last message of this series, Adam talks to us about a vision for personal growth. This goes hand in hand with last week's message about relationships. To be a Christ follower is to be a servant by definition, and thus we are in relationship with God and others. For those of you who find connecting with God via prayer and scripture reading a daunting task, Adam takes the time to introduce some new tools that may help. If you were with us last week and you find yourself found yourself leaving thinking, man, the, the lack of emphasis on scripture around that place uh, bugs me, uh, then this is your morning. And in fact, if you're someone that's trafficked with us for a while, if this is home for you, or you just kind of been checking things out for a while, and you've still kind of not understood where we land as it relates to the kind of historic traditions, as it relates to... Uh, you know, scripture and scripture memory and spending time in solitude and silence and all of those really important things to the evangelical world, then again, this morning is very much your morning. Uh, And because really this is a part two to last week's part one and what made us comfortable with last week was knowing this week was coming. And so excited to jump into that. And I think there'll be some challenging things for you there. And then if this is, uh, if this is the only church you've ever had, if this is the only church you've ever connected with God at, if this is the place where you've met Jesus and started following Jesus, or even if like, this is the only place that's really influencing you right now spiritually, then I think this morning is, uh, has a lot of importance because quite frankly, uh, we have a bias, we, we have a bent around here, and, and this morning part of what I want to reveal is the degree to which our bias can at times be unhealthy. And so part of what I'm excited about for those of you that this, uh, this is the place where you've really connected and maybe the only place you've ever known, I think it's important that you would understand a whole other side of the conversation that we rarely have around here. And I'm going to try to explain strategically why we have it so infrequently. And yet at the same time, I would hate for you to walk with us for five or 10 years and never have known that there's this thing that's so important because I think... Uh, we would have done you a disservice in your own spiritual life. What would be limping a little bit if if it if if you just kind of continue to follow what is this stream where we deny a lot of things often uh, that I just butchered that sentence where we often neglect things. Uh, so here's really the one idea that I'd like to get you thinking about this morning. Not really don't have any punches to pull, so to speak. But here's the one question that I'm hoping you'll leave wondering about, and that's this: What if you started? Every day by practicing 15, uh, what if you started every day by practicing 15 minutes of chair time? Now, I know that sounds like kindergarten, and some of you are going, could it be a little more masculine? Like, that's a little effeminate. I'm with you. It's just what we had to work with. So, yes, go find yourself a manly chair, dudes. Uh, but, but here's my challenge to you. No matter where you're at spiritually, what, what would be the benefit to your marriage, to your parenting, to your work life, to your physical health, to your emotional, emotional health? Fascinating, isn't it, that we live in a time where there is so much research on this idea of the EQ and how even many businesses now are valuing the EQ higher than the IQ, which all comes back to self-awareness. And so my challenge is what if, what if there would be tremendous return on you spending 15 minutes every day, kind of first and foremost, stumbling your way, coffee in hand, uh, air, a phone on airplane mode, ignoring email and text messages, and, and just found 15 minutes of solitude and silence through which you could reflect. So I know that sounds very like woo, hoity-toity spiritual stuff. And my hope is to kind of bring that down to the ground level here this morning. But I think part of what is valuable to understand, and this has been a process for me to work through as we're in this season of kind of going like, who are we and what are we about? What's been valuable for me to recognize is like you, you have me to blame for the lack of emphasis of those types of traditional, though fruitful spiritual practices. 
And those come about for some pretty specific reasons. And I'd like to get really self-absorbed. Um, we're all self-absorbed. I'm just the one with the microphone. And, and kind of share how I think my story contributes to our culture around here and how at times, if we're not careful, that culture is maybe a little out of balance. See, I was 19 years old when I just made the conscious decision to, to identify myself as a Christ follower. I was raised in, in, in a good Catholic environment, and I can't remember the day where I didn't believe that God was real and that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And so, so there, there wasn't a moment where suddenly I realized intellectually or anything like that things were true that I otherwise didn't, which may or may not be a good thing. But in, at 19 years old, after sitting in the back row of a really great church for a couple years, hence the passion we have around here for creating the type of environment where people can hide. We like the balcony for that. How are you doing up there? Yeah, not that that's all of you. And yet, nonetheless, after sitting in the back row of a really great church for two years and not being asked to do anything other than sit there and be, that being okay and eventually finding the door where I didn't even have to shake anybody's hand to get in, uh, I, I finally made that conscious decision to identify myself as a Christ follower. And what I didn't prepare for was the degree to which the, the evangelical or the evangelical, however you want to say it, the, the, the evangelical world w- would play to my strengths. See, what I mean by that is I, at 19 years old, I already loved to read. It was a part of my patterns and rhythms of life. I was a Stephen King fan. I was a Dean Koontz fan. I read novels and stuff like that when I was in high school. I know it makes me a nerd, but I'm okay with that. Um, and so when I stepped into following Jesus and was really taking seriously this desire to like surrender my life to him, not just identify myself as a Christian, but like follow him, as that psalm that Kate had put up there during offering communicates, uh, the, the, the world of reading and reading books on Christian living and theology and God and who he is and what he's about and what it means to be his, as people encouraged me to do that, that came pretty naturally for me because I, I loved to read. As I had people begin to encourage me to spend time in the text and to ask questions of the text and to make observations of what I was reading and then to bring those questions and observations into my conversations with mentors, uh, that came fairly naturally to me. I love to study. I love to talk. I love to exchange ideas. I loved questions. And so the, the process of being a person who spent time in the text and then sitting down with someone and processing all that, that came naturally. And then eventually when, when I started volunteering at that church and was teaching fifth and sixth grade, it was a bad day for them, but it was a good season for me. As I was even beginning to teach kids about following Jesus, like the, the, the process of reading scripture and then reflecting on what I was learning with, with people and eventually students and adults, that, that came somewhat naturally to me. At the time, I worked at Coca-Cola. I was a distributor. Uh, I was a merchandiser. Excuse me. I worked at the local Coca-Cola distributor. I was a merchandiser, which means that I drove to grocery stores and stocked shelves, and it was a perfect job for my OCD because you have no idea how intentional they are about every label on the shelf. Every two-liter bottle faces just so. Every 12-pack has a certain place for it. Mike, you'd be really good at being a merchandiser. There's a date pattern like the old ones are the furthest forward, so that's why when you open the cooler to get your Coke bottle, if you open like this and just grab the first one, sucker, because those are the old ones. It's the one way over here in the back. Those are the new ones. So all of that went really, really well with my temperament. The other thing that happened is I learned, I discovered uh, the, the radio. I grew up driving classic cars, and my dad believed in big blocks but not radios. And so I didn't ever have a car with a radio until I got a company car, and it was a little Ford Ranger, and it had a radio. And I discovered then in this season of growth in my life that the, on the, we would call it a podcast today, but they were, it was Christian radio then, Right. And I began to really love listening to guys like Chuck Swindoll and David Jeremiah and John MacArthur and Stan Simmons and Ed Dobson and just taking in all that information, loved it. And so my point is simply like intellectual evangelical Christianity was, was just played right to my strengths. 
I, I formed ministries around that as I began to lead and lead high school students. Everything was born out of no, 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 like not no, like don't do that, like no things, like the intellect, the, the, the brain. And then in 2006, I read a book that, that rocked my world. And some of you have heard me talk about it before, but it's a book called A New Kind of Christian by a guy named Brian McLaren. And I've since reread it and didn't find it to be as dramatic. But I heard recently that um, there was a secular study conducted by a neuroscientist recently. And, and his conclusion was that if a person changes their thinking about the divine by as little as 10%, the impact of that changed thinking will touch every aspect of their life, every relationship, every decision, everything they do. And that's what happened to me when I read that book. Uh, because what Brian McLaren suggested was that Christianity is not just about the intellect. And it was then, and for some of you that this is home, you'll go like, this is so mundane, I know this. But see, th this is where there was this transfer that happened. He was the one that began to expose me to the fact that Jesus' goal for my life was not my, my knowing a whole bunch of things about God and then being able to regurgitate that information over coffee tables and in conversations and in platforms like this. He was the one that challenged me that to be a disciple is about way more than the intellect. It, it, it Certainly that's a means, but it's a means to an end. And he was the one that really began to help me to see that in the Gospels, what you see from cover to cover is Jesus not conducting Bible studies, but serving people. And that for me was a completely reimagining of what it meant to, to be a Christ follower because suddenly I actually went through these two years where I read every gospel once a month for two years and, and it was like the blinders fell off because what I was exposed to was the fact that Jesus walked around the world with a towel over his arm serving people. See, what, what I was struck with was the Jesus who just cares about what I think and what I know and the verses that I can quote and all that intellectual stuff. I love that Jesus. The one who's all about conversations and, oh, did you hear that sermon? And, oh, did you read that book? Love him. I almost find him easy to follow because I just like to think and talk, don't you? But what I was beginning to be exposed to was the like he cared about the way I treated people and he cared that, that like my existence translated to somebody else's benefit that, that I told his story by the way I served and that impacted some of you were you experienced this season with me that impacted everything that I was a part of and there was this shift that began to happen where we went wait a minute wait a minute it's not just about reading your bible it's about serving people and that's what really leads us to narrate. Now, in some regards, I see what I'm admitting to you is, is we've de-emphasized scripture. And part of that, just to be really honest with you, is that I am terrified of being a part of a movement of people that identify Christianity as an intellectual movement, movement where people exchange ideas and they know which ones are the right ones and which ones are the wrong ones. But in the marketplace and in the neighborhood and in their families, they're just as big a jerk as everybody else. Have you seen that bumper sticker? Jesus loves you and everybody else thinks you're a... Like that, that terrifies me. And, and yet the result is, if we're not careful, we limp a little bit. because. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. We follow a rabbi. Uh, we follow a God, Jesus, who though being in very nature God, the scriptures tell us, had a habit of getting alone seemingly on a daily basis to reflect, to pray, uh, to take it in. Now, I love this because I think cognitive scientists go, I know why he was doing that. And yet I think for the Christ follower, one of the challenges is if the God of the universe needed solitude and silence to effectively carry out God's will in his life, how much more might we 
as broken, sinful people. So my challenge, what if? What if you started every day with 15 minutes of solitude and silence and reflection and prayer and your email was off and your text message was off and your Facebook stream was ignored because that would be a good thing anyway? And it was just a time of like reflection, prayer, maybe reading a little bit of scripture so that your thoughts about God would be born from his thoughts about himself. You know, there's been a lot of surveys. Um, Willow Creek did one called The Reveal several years ago. The other one that was conducted was by Lifeway Christian Books, which is a very large Christian company. And the question they asked Christ followers was, what is the, what's the keystone habit in your life? For those of you fulfilled in your relationship, you feel like you're growing, like you'd like to be growing, you're as engaged in your faith as you really hope to be engaged. What's the keystone habit? Now, if some of you may be familiar with that line of thinking, there's a guy who wrote a book called The Power of Habit. And what the keystone habit is about is, like, we all have habits. We have lots of habits. Um, companies, organizations, churches, they all have uh, habits, plural. But the keystone habit is the one habit that kicks into gear all the other ones. It's the lead domino. And if you get this one right, everything else happens right. And if you miss this one, like none of the other ones would be in existence. So they ask these Christ followers, what's the keystone habit? And, and it's, just, it's never even a contest over and over and over again. It's, it's the daily reading of scripture. It's solitude, it's silence, it's creating space. And so I ask you, what if, what if you were to start to do that? And I wonder, why, why, why is it so scary? Why is it so intimidating? I mean, okay, so get rid of the girly chair and go find a good manly chair. Okay, but why? Why, why, is, it, why is it so scary? I was on a run recently, and uh, eventually I made my way to the top of Mount Ascension. And for those of you familiar with that, like that, that's a pretty good climb by the time you get up there. And there's a really neat view. Like there's Ascension, like boring, but then there's like the second peak of Ascension and that's where it's at, right? Mountain bikers and runners unite. So it's the second one. It's, I think it's the best view in the entire trail system. And so generally I stop there, though I don't like to stop there necessarily, or I don't like to stop, but I, it's, you can't run by that. And, and it's like, um, well, I, tangent. I stopped there. And so I stopped I was going to, somebody's in Chevy Chase and, hey, there's Big Ben. And remember we stuck in the roundabout? Like that was stuck in my head. So, 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 oh, but now I just took you down that distraction anyway. So I stopped there and I was only there for about 10 seconds because suddenly I realized it was July and I was really hot. And I and like, I'm an anxious freak. And so like, oh no, I'm, I'm hot. Am I too hot? Oh no, am I too hot? And then I realized I was hungry. Am I too hungry? Like four miles home. Am I, am I going to make it home alive? And, and then I realized that my nutrition the last few days had been horrible. And oh, oh, am I going to have enough energy? And I had a lot of miles. And so my legs were sore. And suddenly I just was thinking so much. And so I, I did what most of us do when we think too much. I just got busy because that's what I like to do. I like to avoid pain. Don't you? Just so I took off running again and was running down the trail and it's almost all downhill from there, which by the time you're done with that downhill, you're like looking for a hill because it's more painful than the uphill, but that's its own tangent as well. And I realized, I had this thought almost immediately. I thought, I wonder if, I wonder if this is why we fear the quiet time. I wonder if it's terrifying. Like, I wonder if being the dad who gets up and goes to work and provides for his family and feeds the dog and mows the lawn and paints the house and gets the kids to school on time, I wonder if... I wonder if that's easier than being the type of dad who creates enough space where God can go, hey, uh, remember when you said this yesterday? Can we circle back to that? Can, can we talk? Remember when you, I wonder if it's just terrifying to, to submit ourselves to that kind of input for an objective, 
holy, perfect God. And even if you don't believe in God, I wonder if just like slowing down that much, I wonder if the thought of it's just too much to handle. I, uh, this week, it was, I, I think by God's grace, just reminded of, of what happens when we do this. I, I, I don't know about you, but September as a parent is a brutal month. Like you look forward to September and then activities start and school starts and you get to the end of September and you think, I, I should be in jail. Like I don't even love my kids. I just drive them places and like do things. I mean, there's no love coming from me whatsoever. And I had that realization last week where I realized I was just completely emotionally absent to my kids and I was convicted by that. And yet the dead spiral was such that I couldn't recover fast enough. And on Tuesday morning, I woke up with this thought in my head, Adam, uh, what does it look like to follow me when you're not in control and not getting your way? And I went, really? We got to go down this road again? And I found my way with my coffee into my spot and my chair. Some of you might need to go buy a chair. Some of you might need to dust a chair. I found my way to my spot, and I tried to get busy and do other things, and I, and I just kept coming back to that. And eventually I had to open up my computer and open up Evernote and just start typing and and, and the whole conversation, again, I know this sounds freaky, weird. That's why we don't, I mean, I, I get it. It's really hard to, to make sense of this sometimes. But I can just tell you the conviction I left with was, Adam, your youngest is now in second grade. And the way you treat the people you lead is different than the way you treat your kids. See, I understand that, that to lead effectively means that I have to garner respect. It means that I have to bite my tongue and not always get my way. It means to lead the staff. Sometimes i got to let them do things their way, not my way. And yet with my kids, it's always got to be my way. In fact, the, the night before, one of my kids lost this brand new football, and I was just furious. And it wasn't like I like, was furious toward him necessarily, but it, that was the, all the realization of Adam. Like, you're losing control of your kids. And there's just a few years from now where they get to choose whether or not they like you and want to spend time with you, just like all those people that narrate And it was convicting. And I owe it to God in that time where I just, God was able to just, like I knew it was happening, but I didn't have the clarification. That night I got home and I was motivated as we are in these moments. And Teresa was working nights and the other two boys were off at football practice. And so it was me and my youngest, JR. And I looked at JR and I said, hey, what do you want to do? We've got an hour before I got to be a soccer mom again. And he said, can we go to Walmart? I'm sorry if you work there. I hate Walmart. Like my wife goes there, we shop, but I, I, I make, I almost tweeted. I'm making my annual trip to Walmart. Who needs something? He had a gift card from Walmart that he's had for like two months. He got from his grandma and he wanted to buy Pokemon cards and he's been asking us to take him to Walmart and it's way out of the way and I don't like to go to Walmart and yeah, we can go to Walmart. We got a block away from the house and he looked at me and he said, I can't believe you said Yes. What if I was meeting with a single friend this week? It's the same thing, just to kind of barrage you. And, and, and they were sharing that and they were just kind of wounded by their singleness and wished that that wasn't the reality in their life at this point. And, and I had an agenda in the meeting, so I like heard it and went, oh, going, moving forward. I mean, it was like I didn't even notice that that is what had happened. And I wouldn't have, except for the next morning, I was, again, sitting in this spot. And I'm not trying to say that it's like this every morning. It's like this a couple times a week at best. And I hadn't even thought of that conversation again. And as I was sitting there, the conversation came to mind, and I suddenly realized, like, wait a minute, that was a moment of vulnerability. That was a moment of candor. Like, that was real. And I just blew by it. And I'm sure some of you had this experience, but almost immediately I had the email that I needed to send and the words in my head. 
And I took just a minute and affirmed, like, hey, you've grown so much in your relationship with Christ. You're becoming such a remarkable person. You've worked so hard at that. Way to go. And I just want you to know from where I sit, I I believe that, that God knows that and will reward that. And maybe he doesn't just want to give you a warm body. Maybe he wants to give you one of his best. See, what would happen as a parent, as a leader, as a spouse, as a servant? You know, we follow a stream of tradition that practices this. King David, if, 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 if you're a dude going, this is the stuff of wives, this is the stuff of like books with blue hearts on them, okay, but stick with me. Because King David like defines masculinity. One of the most decorated warriors and leaders and kings ever. Listen to what he said in, in his quiet moments. We've got Psalm 139. The irony this morning is I didn't even bring my Bible. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David was a man who understood the importance and the value of repentance. In Psalm 26, we also hear from David and he says, Test me, Lord. Try me. Examine my heart and my mind. What if... What if you swing by here when, when we're done, and if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Swing by the Skyrim board. Don't want to give you your sixth one. Would love to give you your first one. That There's also an app out there that I use. That's why I don't have a Bible up here with me. It's why I've been using my, my, my iPad when I do have a Bible. There's a free app called Version, and it's remarkable, and you can create all kinds of reading plans, and you can set it up to read the Bible in the next 40 years or the next four days. It'll do all that for you, every version you'd want. It's completely free. Uversion's a great tool. The other thing that we have that I wanted to introduce you to is there's this... There's this set of commentaries put out by N.T. Wright, who is one of my favorite theologians. And it's not real sappy, like no blue hearts and kind of warm and fuzzy stuff. It's, it's, what, what he does is he takes about five to ten verses at a time and he works through every book in the New Testament. Uh, this is the second part of Romans. Some of them take two parts. And he offers some really good scholarship mixed with some pretty good personal application. And, and I think that, well, my goal is to read this commentary through twice in the next couple of years. My favorite theologian, Scott McKnight, I recently said that if you want to understand the New Testament, read through N.T. Wright's commentary. And so what we did, because this I've been using this for about six months now, what we did is we bought two sets of it, and it's back there on that heat register, and we thought, rather than ask people to, to buy it, like you can go buy one if you want, and we can help you find them. They're about 10 bucks a copy. We bought two sets and thought, let's just, let's just create our own little library and give each one of you the opportunity to take one if you want and work through, say, the book of 1 Corinthians. And then when you're done, bring it back, and the next person can use 1 Corinthians, and then you can take Luke or whatever. And maybe for you, you're just so aimless as to where you would start, that would be the best tool for you and would just invite you to use those. Many of you have kind of been piloting this for a while now and have had really good feedback. would ask that we just do one per household till we figure out exactly how many sets we need to own. But what if... What if you did this? But what if you prioritized this kind of self-awareness? What if this became a habit in your life? What if you used NT Ride or you just use your app or you just, it just create space? And tell you what, in 30 days, if no good has come from that, if you can't point to any tangible changes as a leader, as a boss, as a spouse, as a parent, then quit. But what if it's the type of thing that you're wanting? What, what if you're made not just to serve God by splitting firewood, but to know him personally? I'm sure some of you are aware of Michelangelo's most famous painting called The Creation of Adam. It's found in the Sistine Chapel. 
Not to worry, those are leaves. We had the single people on staff confirm those are leaves on Adam's midsection, so don't be distracted, junior high students and adult single men. That's just, it's women, it's just leaves, okay? Are we okay? Can we move forward now? Everybody knows where we're at? Okay. Uh, actually, the anatomy professor from Carroll College came up to me after the last service and told me that actually that the God side is the brain, like that every part of the anatomy of the brain is represented in that. She's going to send me the link. I'll send it to you if you want to email me. Anyway, here's what I want you to notice. Notice, notice the effort God is putting forth. Like it's like if, if he reached any more, he would like fall out of the weird little cloud of people thing. Like, like the whole, he would be off balance if he extended any more energy in, in that direction. Do you notice that? And, and do you see Adam? Like not anywhere near as committed to the mission. Like this kind of limp, casual, like almost indifferent, like, eh, I could take it or leave it. What if, what if he just reached six more inches and grabbed firmly hold of the hand of God and never let go? What if that's the invitation of of the cross and the empty tomb? I would say, though I realize it's ironic because I talk about it so infrequently, that that describes the single biggest bucket filler in my life. See, for me personally, part of what I've had to come to the realization of is I, I don't emphasize this because I'm terrified of us becoming a people that identify Christ as a movement of intellects. And yet all the while... I've clung to those practices myself. And I guess I just come to you giving one story saying it, it is the keystone habit of my life. What if you took God up on his offer? If you would like to engage further with Narrate Church, you can find contact information online, www.narratechurch.org. We would love to hear from you.